I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. The theme of this week's show is YOLO, Y-O-L-O, which is an acronym for You Only Live Once. Joining me in conversation are Leanne Pruitt and Ryan Sorensen, a married creative duo from Omaha, Nebraska. In 2010, with years of advertising and marketing experience, Leanne as a writer and Ryan as a designer, the couple sold a bulk of their possessions, packed up what was left, and headed to New York City to try their way at another life. Five years and countless experiences later, they decided to return to the Midwest, but not before taking advantage of the between-city and unattached opportunity to travel. A six-month sabbatical took them around the entire globe, where they said yes to almost everything, carrying just the necessities on their backs. Today, they've resumed their creative work at branding agencies in Omaha. They live in a newly restored 100-year-old home with their dog, Sophie. Leanne and Ryan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I think we need a scene setter. So let's start with me just asking each of you to tell me a little about your upbringing. So I grew up in a pretty uh, typical sort of working class household. We um, didn't have, we had a, you know, had everything that we needed. And of course I had not everything that I wanted. Uh, I was the youngest of three children. Um, My brother and sister would say I was spoiled to death. Um, Of course I wouldn't, Um, but it's true. I kind of was spoiled. Um, But as far as, you know, having things and being able to go places and do things, we didn't have a lot of money to do a lot of extra. Uh, So it was always um, something I was always kind of wanting to do other things. You know, other kids got to go to vacations to Disney World or big trips or travel places. I actually didn't go on an airplane until I was in college and was able to purchase my own ticket myself. So we weren't, like I said, we weren't necessarily for, uh, I didn't have any needs, but I certainly had had wants growing up. I grew up in in Midtown Omaha. Uh, I did go to um, Catholic schools my whole life. Uh, And then when I graduated from high school, I moved to Lincoln to go to college there. That's about it. What makes for a typical working class home in Omaha? I would say what I mean by a typical working class home, that was my mother and father both worked. Uh, We had sort of varying, there was always uh, questions about what we could afford and what we could go to do. My mom was extremely creative in uh, making us feel like we were doing things uh, that that were fun and engaging, even though we didn't really have the money to do all of the fancy things she wanted to take us to do. We'd have um, every about once a year, we would have kind of a a family fun day where my mom would take me and my brother and sister. Uh, She'd take the day off work and during the summer and take us out to go do some of the things that were things we, quote, always wanted to do and, quote, never got to do. My dad uh, was kind of a um, traveler, traveler, uh, traveling salesman for some of the time. Uh, So sometimes it was me and my mom and sister and brother um, left to do our own, left to our own devices. We watched a lot of 80s television, lots of 80s sitcoms. I was absolutely uh, wanted to be in the Family Ties family. Yep. I wanted your imaginary friend. Really? (laughs) I lived a little bit farther away from my school, my grade school, than the rest of my friends. So, and our neighborhood was primarily um, 
there's a lot of uh, elderly folks in my neighborhood, so not a lot of kids. Uh, so I had to get real creative. Um, my brother and sister are seven and nine years older than me. So while I have two siblings, I was also sort of an only child in how I grew up. Um, I, I, I got real... I, I got very creative with how I, I could play. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of solo play. I had an imaginary friend named Patty. Uh, we had a great time together. Uh, the only thing that I remember about her, besides that she was uh, very kind to me and we had a lot of fun together, is that um, I was pretty progressive in that she was actually had um, no gender. Uh, my brother and sister would kind of tease me. They'd say, is it a boy? And I would say no. And they would say, is it a girl? And I'd say no. So I had this sort of genderless uh, best friend, imaginary best friend. It was a good time. So Ryan, tell me about your upbringing. Um, I've had a little bit more privileged of a life than Leanne has. Um, I was born in Lincoln. I lived there until I was nine. We actually moved out on my ninth birthday. Still a little bit sore about that. Um, moved to Omaha, lived in Millard. As a family, we've always done things that, you know, we've, we've gone to Disney World and I never left the country except for one time we went to Canada real quick, but, um, that was, that was my farthest expedition when I was a younger kid. Um, I've, my friends would always describe me as like, he always says, let's go do something fun. So I'm always the type of person that's like, let's do something not regular. Let's just go out and do something different. Something we haven't done before. I mean, it got progressively worse and worse as I grew up. <laughs> and then our, our big trip would have been the culmination of all that. Tell me about some of the conversations you were having leading up to this choice to go to New York City. What was the seed? Where, how did this begin? And then how did you start having those conversations? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I would just always say, let's move to L.A. What's... Let's move. Let's go do this. Let's move to Chicago. Of course, Chicago is the first easy answer, you know. But um, and then eventually got serious. And Leanne, I kept talking about all these places I wanted to go, and Leanne was like, "Okay, well, if we're gonna move anywhere, it's gonna be New York," because she had previously lived there right after nine eleven, and then moved back. She was only there for a year. But I'll let you tell that part. I would say Ryan is the, Ryan is, has the crazy vision and I make it happen. So with his help, but it's, I'm, I'm able to kind of take things and see what is wrong with them in order to make it be right. So if Ryan has this for a, for a while, when we were dating, he was, I want to go, you know, I want to live somewhere else. Let's go here. Let's go to LA. Let's, let's go move somewhere else. And for me at first, it was just everyone kind of goes through that or a lot of people go through that, especially if you're in a town that has, uh, what I call sort of big city envy, uh, like Omaha. Um, and so it, for a while there, it was just, we'd just kind of talk about where we would go and we'd go on vacations or, you know, we'd go, we did some travel for our, our, um, our work. We'd end up in, in LA and just kind of talk about the reality of would we really want to live here or there or wherever. When it got to be apparent and it finally dawned on me that Ryan was probably in his life not going to be happy staying in Omaha unless he tried somewhere else first, um, that's when we really kind of took it seriously. The way that I could really relate was that I had actually moved away right after I graduated from college. I moved to New York City and 
I had some great experiences there, but it was also very, very hard. I was really young and I, I didn't make a lot of money in New York is a, is a, notoriously very hard city. And so I had moved back to Omaha. That's when I met Ryan. We started dating and, uh, and then eventually, um, decided to make a, make a go of it living together. Um, so we were already sort of, you know, in that we were committed. And when, when I realized that Ryan was getting really, he wasn't just one of his fly by night ideas of him saying, let's jump a skateboarding ramp and let's go to LA and let's do this where he was actually, I realized that, you know, I had had that experience of leaving Omaha so I could appreciate it more. And I understood what was out there. He hadn't had that yet. And so I knew that if I didn't kind of help make this vision a reality for him, for us, that he would kind of always resent staying in Omaha. And I'm, I'm up for pretty much anything too, as long as, uh, he can, as long as we can talk through logistically how it's going to work. I'm an expectations person. And if I can make a plan for it and know how we're going to get there, I'm pretty much up for it as well. Forgive me for asking it, but Leanne, you said you spent this one year in New York and it's a notoriously tough city and you were straight out of college. Was there any element of your discussions together that were seemingly a little daunting for you because did you have a sense I've failed here once or I didn't like it then, why would I like it now? Or any of those other perhaps nagging doubts in the back of your mind? Absolutely. I think that one of the things that made New York difficult for me that first time, several of them were different this time. So I was quite a bit older, six, seven, eight years, which meant six, seven, eight more years experience in my field. Um, I kind of knew what the heck I was doing and who the heck I was. I was, you know, going from young twenties to young thirties. It's just, it's a different world as far as, um, self, uh, assurance, self-reliance, self-confidence. Uh, so enough had changed in the thing, the things that made it hard had to do with all of that. So because I knew, um, those things were going to be a little less of a problem. Plus I had a kind of a partner, uh, to, to combat it with that made it a little bit more of a reality besides the fact that the internet was a thing, whereas it wasn't <laughs> when I, when I first graduated from college, it was still, I remember people saying something about this, this thing called MySpace. I mean, it just, it was such a different, we could go to New York and get on LinkedIn and find job connections and have even just a map in your pocket on a phone, um, was different than the first time I lived there. So a lot of those took care of themselves just in the way of time and technology and, growth start spreading the news i'm leaving today i want to be a part of it new york new york these vagabond shoes are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York I want to wake up In a city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap These little town blues are melting away I'll make a brand new start of it in old New York 
if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. It's up to you, New York, New York, New York, New York. I want to wake up in a city that never sleeps. So the theme is YOLO, and that suggests a certain carpe diem sense of seizing the opportunity and exploring one's vision. And the way you've described it so far suggests that, Ryan, you were champing at the bit, just L.A., uh, London, New York, the moon, it, it, it doesn't matter, I, I'm going. And then, Leanne, you're describing this as I'm on board, but I, I need to draw up a spreadsheet for this first, um, which is probably a little <laughs> unfair. I, I'm making this a little... <laughs> I'm exaggerating. I don't know. Was there a spreadsheet involved? No, no. No spreadsheet. I hate spreadsheets. So that's yeah. definitely a to-do list. Definitely to-do list. I will. We will definitely call it a to-do <laughs> list. I'm a list person for sure. So then, for you, Ryan, did did reality hit at some point? Did you ever think, "Oh my goodness, I've suggested this idea. Leanne is running with it. This might actually happen. You know, what on earth am I doing here?" I tend to just jump into things, and then after I'm already in it. Then reality can hit me, but then by then it's too late. So um, I don't know. I was a little worried when we were in New York for a month and a half, and we we had already decided to not. We wanted to get settled at first, so we started slow and started looking for jobs after like three weeks. And then um, it was about a month and a half in. I didn't have a job yet, so I was then I started to worry. And so basically I called all my recruiters back that I had conversations with and I said, just anything, well, give me, I don't care what it is. I'll just place me somewhere. And then you can see that I actually will show up and do the job. I got placed somewhere and did the job and got paid. That point was the, the worrisome point, And then it just went away real quick. So that's quite funny. That point is the worrisome point <laughs> uh, because we haven't even got to the, 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 the stage yet where, <laughs> where, You've sold your stuff. You've told all your friends, sayonara. Just stuff. Um, okay. <laughs> so here we go. Let's um, let's explore this. There, there came a point when the vision is stated and articulated. It's now out in the ether. Uh, Leanne mentioned the to-do list. So tell me about that process before you actually got on the plane, assuming you got on a plane, didn't drive. 
Oh, we drove you in a drove. U-Haul with the rest of our, with what we kept. We we drove. A, Selected stuff. We drove so, with our dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell yeah. us the story then uh, leading up yeah. to the U-Haul. So I, I like to call Ryan's bluff. And that's really what most of our life decisions have been. Um, Ryan will get an idea. Either I'll brush it off as complete nonsense or if it actually does have some sort of, I know him pretty well by now. So I know the things we've done, all of our, we've done a lot of goal setting and values planning. So we sort of, we've sort of set out a vision for our 10 years of what, what is important to us. Uh, so I can kind of help him see if, if a crazy idea is truly a crazy idea or if it's something that actually does get us closer to our goal. So when it came to this move and I had had my realization that this was important to, to him and to us, uh, we started going. And I think that was making the decision was, uh, was the big one. Keeping it, keeping it a secret from people was, uh, difficult. We had, you know, employment considerations. We, uh, we didn't want our, we had to, we had to start doing some planning in secret. You don't want to give a, eight week, three month lead time, um, in advertising. It's a little bit, uh, sketchy there. So, uh, we kind of had to start some of our to do's were on our own. So we had to, we knew we were going to need to sell our house. So we started doing, um, fixing up the house and thinking about how we were going to downsize. We started, kind of making plans for which things we were going to sell, what things we were going to take with, what we were going to put. We did get a small storage unit for some family furniture uh, that we didn't want to part with and just started taking all of that down. We also started taking, uh, we took several trips to New York. We took the initial trip to, you know, Ryan wanted to move somewhere. New York was at the top of my list if we were going to move. So he said, great. We went there. It was his first time there. We were walking around for just just a few minutes, we got out of the subway and walked around and he, he was like, yeah, this is, let's do it. This is it. It was pretty quick. Of course. I mean, I would have been exactly the same way about LA or. It's true. I mean, I was excited to go to, I think the coast was important, but big city, you know, just more. Yeah. And I, 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 my, thing was, if we were going to do it, do it where it's everything all at once. New York yeah. has pretty much all yeah. of it. Um, and then, you know, we gave about, I think, a month's notice at, at our jobs. Uh, same thing. And they were all dear friends of ours as well. So it was, it was. And um, we both worked at the same job. We both worked at the same so, place. So <laughs> that was probably extra tough because we're a copywriter, our director team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we sold all of that stuff. It was, we packed up the rest in the truck and Packed our dog in. Ryan was really adamant that we drive. He wanted to feel the distance yeah. happen. Sometimes when you take a plane, it's it makes things. One thing we love about travel is that it makes the world seem really small, especially uh, air travel. But he was really adamant that we needed to drive uh, so we could feel how far away we were getting from from Omaha. And then it allowed us to stop at IKEA on the way to get small little itty bitty furniture. <laughs> Yeah, we we planned our trip uh, in the same way we made the trip part of the adventure. Now, you've said that the point where you started to get a little bit perturbed was some six weeks in because you didn't have jobs. So at this point, I think alarm bells might be ringing for a lot of people. Um, You sold just stuff and you don't have jobs to go to. You're going to New York City. Did you have an apartment lined up? That we did. New, uh, apartment apartment hunting is serious business in New York, just as everything else. And so we had gone um, 
after the initial trip to decide, yes, New York City was the place for us, we went back to uh, two additional like long weekends uh, to try to look for apartments. It's extremely competitive and uh, very expensive to rent an apartment. Um, you have to either know someone or pay a broker or luck into something. And luckily we sort of had a combination of all three of those things. We, uh, we found an apartment after, uh, several days of searching all over the city with different, you know, different real estate brokers or, or on our own through Craigslist, we, uh, ended up uh, finding an apartment in a building with some friends of ours. Uh, we had done the math on just sort of our rent, our, our rent we had to prepay for the first month. So we knew we had that covered. Uh, Not only prepay, first month, last month, and a security deposit. It was a significant amount of money. That but was a lot. We, um, <laughs> we had a pot of money that we knew would last us for up, up to three months uh, if necessary, but um, we, weren't, we were hoping to not use that up. You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. Are you able to articulate what it is that you were looking for? What motivated you to go? And did you find it? Experiences. I mean, just go into a different location, being around different cultures. I mean, New York City has, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the, 
the hub of the world where there's every type of person, every interest, every everything there and multiple of it, you know. So I just wanted to experience that. It's it's kind of like traveling around the world but living in one city. It was something wanting to experience something different. And we absolutely got that. I mean, we met all different types of people and did all different types of things that while you can really search out Omaha is great for, uh, for a lot of things, but there's just something different about having that all just be part of your day-to-day life. Something so different from how you grew up. And let's say you grew up in New York they, I mean, somebody that grew up in New York could benefit from coming to live in Omaha, just the same way that we benefited from leaving Omaha. It's just, it's not about one city being better, quote unquote, than another. It's about it being different. And so that was really important to us that we could see a lot of different people, experiences, cultures, arts, entertainment, all in one. We obviously could talk about New York. Forever. Exactly. This is a show about YOLO, and you've turned that into um, YOLT. Uh, you only live twice because <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. That was. That's... <laughs> um, you decided that you were going to come back to the Midwest. But before coming back, you decided that you would keep amassing more experiences. So explain to me a little bit about the decision that your time in New York City was now going to come to a close and you were going to come back to the Midwest. What drove that decision? And then what were your conversations about, but let's travel the world first? When we got, it takes about three years approximately to really feel like you live in a new place. That's why I might go out on a limb and say that that's my scientific evidence-based uh, claim it takes about three years. So about three years into uh, living in, the, in New York City, we were feeling, I mean, feeling great, had great jobs, great friends. Uh, you know, we, we felt like we lived here. This Omaha, our Omaha life was, was a, you know, kind of a distance. Um, and at about that point, we knew that it probably, though, though we loved it and there was a lot going on, we already sort of knew that it probably wasn't forever. Um, and so we began thinking about next, where we would go next. Um, it's one of Ryan's biggest uh, um, strengths and weaknesses is his ability to look at what's next. He's constantly thinking about what's next before you even get get to the thing. You might plan the next thing. And while you're planning that next thing, he's thinking about the thing after that. We realized a couple of things. One, that since it takes about three years to live somewhere else and our our vision for why we would come back to the, the Midwest would potentially be to settle down a little bit, maybe start a family, we didn't feel like there was in the in the realm of of space and time that there was enough time for us to go try another city and still get back to Omaha to have children. We were sort of running out. We had a we had a clock. We had a clock that was ticking on us. And so as we were getting, you know, down we were thinking like could we go somewhere else? Should we go somewhere else? Do we just go straight to Omaha? We had this idea. We probably had it over cocktails that what if we could, what are the benefits of going one other place before New York? It was basically to have just one other different kind of um, experience or different kind of living situation before we settled back into a situation we already knew. And so we thought, 
if we could fit a, you know, if we could shrink down what you would gain living three years somewhere else into a shorter amount of time, maybe we could do it via travel. We knew we would need, you know, we started doing some calculations on how much it would take to do all of this. And so we got to sort of a goal amount of money and we just started saving. We were always wanting to balance as we were starting to plan the trip. We were trying to balance the economical, but also fun. I mean, we could have, we could still be traveling on that amount of money if we had decided that, you know, sleeping in a tent in a remote part of India was enough of an experience for us. But we sort of wanted to make sure that there was a balance of pleasure and um, economics. We had the amount of money, but we had no idea how long we'd be gone. We put all our stuff in storage in Omaha and then set sail from there. I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives. Joining me in conversation are Leanne Pruitt and Ryan Sorensen. What were the criteria behind which you chose the excursions and the places and the experiences that you wanted on this trip? Well, a lot of it for me was I wanted to see as much of Europe as possible. Um... We started in Sicily, and the reason why we started in Sicily was just because the the plane ticket was the cheapest to get there. So we made a, most of our decisions on where to go next. We didn't. We sort of did a choose your own adventure, yeah. and we based them all on Google Flights. Uh, so wherever was the next, uh, the less most you know desirable but least expensive place to get to, mm-hmm. that's kind of where we went next. We did plan out the whole first month just so that when we crossed over customs, we would have, no, look, here's where we're staying. And these are, this is our flight out of Italy. And, and we promised to not stay, overstay our, our visa. Um, so we did, we planned a lot on that upfront, just more from, more from, I think, nerves on my part of just wanting to make sure we didn't get stuck in a detention. So like he would have, Stuck in a detention center for three days would have added to the story for Ryan. That would have been great. Right. And for me, I would have had a nervous breakdown. So we tr- <laughs> we always balance. Uh, I want to give him some of the spontaneity and the joy of not having a plan, but then give me the level of um, the level of sanity that I need to also keep it fun. So let's enjoy this tour with you to some degree. 
you've landed in Sicily. So where did you go? What happened next? The goal for the trip was to, because it was taking place of living somewhere else, we wanted to make sure that most of our travels didn't feel as, I mean, they were going to feel like tourism uh, and travel because we were tourists and travelers, but uh, we wanted to make them feel as as lived as possible as, as if we were experiencing the city as a resident. So we did almost exclusively, especially in Europe, we did all Airbnb stays. Often we even stayed with hosts. It, you just rented a room so that we could, especially in countries that had um, different languages, we wanted to make sure we had some experience with locals, knowing we'd be at some tourist destinations that aren't exactly like experiencing a country. We wanted to make sure that we, um, that we had local experiences as well. So Sicily was, we started with no plan in Sicily. We stayed for a week and really just acclimated. I remember a lot of jet lag, um, situation, just trying to get on the right, get on the right side of the globe. And we really just explored. Sicily mm. is not a huge tourist destination, so it ended up being a really great uh, slow pace and um, very authentic Italian area to explore for our first our first week. Rented a car. We rented a car. Yeah. The, the cars are very small. <laughs> we 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 had only one car accident. Uh, <laughs> um, all the cars are uh, stick shift, and Ryan is decent at it. I but, could do it. But there was a situation where we were stuck on a going up a hill of gravel, and a, the the drivers there are all used to this, so they were kind of there were some people trying to nudge very close to us, and Ryan was yelling at them that I'm going to hit you, I'm going to hit you, like when he tried to um, shift of, gears. A lot of yell pointing, like <laughs> look at the tire, look. <laughs> and of course, when he went to try to um, pop the clutch, uh, we rolled back and, and hit them. <laughs> Told him it was going to happen. It's true. And we <laughs> followed with a, a lot of um, gestured, broken English, broken Italian. We had some adventures. You want to talk about Mount Etna? I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, you, you want me to tell it? Sure. Um. We, uh, so there's a volcano in Sicily, Mount Etna, and you can take the ski lift up to the top and evidently the ski lift shuts down at a certain time. Not evidently, it's written on all of the signs, uh, and we knew that it was going to happen. So go on. Well, <laughs> we got up and then I was running around taking pictures. It was it was really cool up there, and we weren't the only ones up there at that point. It was a, a group of, I believe, Chinese tourists that were also running around taking pictures, and so I just I felt like we were okay on time, and, and was, Leanne did not feel like we were okay on time. We were not okay on time, and I was getting very nervous about it and kind of really trying to call him in and say, Ryan, we have to go in. And he kept, they won't leave with, uh, we, we're not going to, they're not going to leave us up here. And the ski lift was still going. It was still rotating around. Evidently that was because the last people got on and they had to go to the bottom. The door was locked when we got there and Leanne was not happy about that. The ski lift was still running because they were <laughs> dropping off all the car. They were leaving the little lifts at the, they were putting them in the dock. So there were no... There were no yep. lifts on the wires that were going around and around us. We were, mm -hmm. there we were, completely stranded on the top of this active volcano. 
I was uh, not in great form. I was pretty upset about the situation. I also wasn't, we weren't dressed properly. We were there for, we were carrying everything that we owned on our backs. So uh, we didn't have really warm clothes. So this day, on this day, we knew it was going to be chilly up there. So we wore everything we had, but it was not warm enough. Uh, so we started walking down the mountain. <laughs> um, the, the other Chinese tourists, we couldn't converse with them. So we didn't, we weren't able to really make a plan with them. So we sort of just had to start walking down the mountain. And I think we walked for about 15 minutes and a little bus uh, full of other tourists um, passed by us and they were kind enough to squeeze us in and let us. I totally knew that was coming. He didn't know it was coming. <laughs> the trip almost ended very abruptly during our first <laughs> week. Week one. <laughs> <laughs> it was upsetting, but we made it. We did it. Uh, we ended that week in Sicily and, and went on to do the rest of, we did a whole month in, in Italy. So we, from there, we, we went on to some of the more, um, standard tourist destinations. We did, you know, Rome and Florence and Venice. Um, but we did some smaller, the Amalfi coast and, um, Naples, uh, and sort of went around. That was, that was our first month. And we had it, like I said, pre-planned so that we would know we were leaving the the Schengen area, the visas there are a little more strict. So once we finished that, we we flew to uh, we flew to London. London was sort of our stopover in between places when we we had friends there, and so we would just go. Um, you can get to anywhere in Europe for about $50 from London. So we would end up back in London. We did that occasionally. So was there a particularly interesting destination that surprised you? Europe was wonderful and it had a lot of what we expected it to have. Um, but what ended up happening, we did the month in Italy and then we went to London and visited friends in Scotland and then we went to an island off of Spain. And then we went to uh, Paris for a month, which had been on my list as one of my most important. I took a lot of French in college. I could speak just the idiotiest amount of French. And so that was a really big one. And about two and a half weeks into our month in Paris, we, we, had took, we took a road trip uh, to, some, you know, to the Loire Valley and did, did some things outside. But what we realized we had done in setting up this month in Paris, we rented an apartment in a neighborhood that was almost exactly like our neighborhood in Brooklyn, just French. And mm -hmm. so we realized something wasn't feeling right. It, we were having a, we were kind of, we were struggling. We'd have these days where it was sort of, I, I didn't really want to go to any more museums and we'd have these ideas of places. This is to, the longest period at one spot. So I think that had something to do with it too. Yeah. We were staying there and, and all of a sudden we realized, you know, it's like, oh, the point of this trip was to do something very different and experience something really different than what we had. And all we had done is moved our life. We were, we were in Paris, you know, grocery shopping and cooking meals at our apartment in this sort of up and coming neighborhood. We were going to great bars and restaurants. We were going to museums. It's like quite literally the exact same life we had in New York minus work. And so for me, when I realized number one, I really like working and I was missing that, um, the fact that this life was so similar to our last life, 
but less productive. It's sort of, that was the kind of uh, a big moment where sort of I could finally articulate why I was feeling this sort of malaise about where we were. After the realization, how then did you adapt your traveling plan? We canceled the rest of the European trip. Uh, We still had plenty of places we were planning to go, including to meet some friends that we had met along the way. We met people that lived in different countries. We were still going to go to to Germany, Switzerland. We were thinking about Poland. Yeah, the Netherlands. And so we... uh, once we realized this needed to be really, really different, uh, some friends of ours had recently gone to Thailand and I had love it or love it or hate it. I had via social media, I had seen their trip and, and thought, Oh, that actually, it, that just was back in the back of my brain. When I realized we needed something really, really different. I was like, you know, it would be really, really different would be tropical islands and (laughs) a completely different culture. Um, something much more different from, uh, New York than, cities in Europe. So I, I kind and of, Europe was expensive. So we went, we went through a little, little faster than we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So Thailand would help us catch up on the budgeting aspect of it. Yeah. Better exchange rate. Yeah. And then we spent a month in Thailand, uh, just going to, we, we did start in Bangkok to get the full picture of the, of the city of a city that's very different from New York. And then we, um, and then we Island hopped for the rest of the month. And that was really, that. it turned out that was really a great part of what we were looking for. It was very, very different, very adventurous. Shyness is nice and shyness can stop you from doing all the things in life you'd like to. Shyness is nice. So if there's something you'd like to try, if there's something you'd like to try, ask me, I won't say no, how could I? Spending warm summer days indoors, writing frightening birds to a buck-toothed girl in Luxembourg. these 
experiences perhaps both New York City and traveling to different places, different cultures around the world informed each of your characters? Mostly it's an, an overall worldview. I mean, Thailand, like most people will think of Thailand and you'll think of, you know, Phuket and all these beautiful beaches and all this, but it's a very poor country. Very poor. Going past the tourist destination of any country, that was a big eye opener for us. It's like there's these, you get this, uh, every country has a persona of what mm. people think it is. And it's, if you can push past that, you can start to see what is actually you know beneath the surface and it just helps you understand where people are coming from a little bit more. Well, I think that was even just New York. I mean, just experiencing other people in New York opened your eyes. It wasn't necessarily the traveling to Thailand and seeing poverty and that. It was just meeting new people with new views and ideas. There, there was a surprise for me when it came to our own country. There was a little bit in certain, as we were traveling, there's kind of this, there's this joke that if you want to go to Europe, you wear a Canadian pin so that people don't know you're American. Um, but I will say that for the most part, almost everywhere we went, people love America. People were very... What's it like there? You know, they really did want to know. Um, so that was a nice surprise for me. I think it, it really is that sort of um, that worldview and thinking about things a little bit larger, knowing that there's something different happening outside of your small bubble um, is important when making decisions based, whether it's whether it's personal or societal, political. Um, it helps to have that full understanding of how the rest of the world acts, not just your small community. Yeah, just an overall open mind worldview. When we were in Thailand, there was a, a certain bay that we stayed on for a week. And after every every morning, they have to clean the beach up from all the trash. It was just in the type of, it had the title pattern that would bring trash to the beach. A lot of um, American beach destinations, trash doesn't wash up like this. So this was wherever it was. It just, it brought everything in. And one time there was a large storm. We went out and um, volunteered to help the it was, it was the guys that ran the bar that we went to every night, the beach bar, uh, that would have to clean it every day. And there was this huge storm. So we went out to help them and we started collecting, I, I started collecting the trash or like noticing the themes and it was so many toothbrushes, so many plastic bottles, so many straws, so many tires. tires. It was, it was dozens things, of tires. Yeah. It was these <laughs> things that. I try not to take, it drives me crazy. I go to a restaurant and they automatically put a straw in your drink. And I, I just, I'm like, I don't, I don't want a straw. It's these, it's these small little things that once you see something like that, you cannot go back to like, I'm going to throw away a toothbrush a week or whatever we get here in America. There was just, was just hundreds of toothbrushes that floated up on this beach after, after a storm. So even just changing things like that, knowing that there is a downstream effect, we saw the people who were working to make and sell all the little cheap gadgets that we buy and throw away here. Um, it sort of gives you a little bit more perspective and thought on why is this dollar spot stuff at Target so cheap? It's like, well, first of all, because there are people making no money making it, and then you're gonna throw it away and it's gonna end up in the, in the ocean. So I try not to consume as much. 
What advice or counsel or observation would you offer to people to seize their own YOLO opportunity? Well, travel. And I know that's not, not everyone could do what we do or did or done. Um, (laughs) Take time to view what other people are doing and what other cultures and I have a I have a piece of advice that I use often uh, in my work in my life. Uh, it was one of my um, one of my copywriting mentors. The first day of my job, I was working for him, and I you know said that I wanted to be this great writer, and he asked me if I wanted to know the secret, and I said yes, I do want to know the secret, and uh, so he kind of leaned in and paused really dramatically as if he was going to tell me something, and he said, "There is no secret." You just have to do the work. So I use that often. It's the same thing with people will ask us, how did you just get rid of everything and move to New York? I said, we just got rid of everything and moved to New York. You find what is the next thing to do? If it's if moving to New York is too big of a goal, what do you need to do to get there? Well, you're probably gonna have to get smaller furniture. Start selling your big furniture and, and find smaller furniture. It just, it was, um, we made the plan and then we did the work. Has taking these two steps made you different people, do you think? 100%. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. I've been in conversation with Leanne Pruitt and Ryan Sorensen. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. That's the end of this week's show. The sound engineer was Dalimar McTizik. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.